Again, we'll be in verses 6 through 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What is our relationship with the law that governs us. We tend, I think, to have a love-hate relationship with the law. Uh, We love the law when it protects us, when it tells, uh, protects our life. You can't kill me. You can't steal from me. It protects our property when it protects our loved ones. We love the law when it uh, says you have freedom of speech. You can own guns. We love the law then. We don't like the law when it inconveniences us. You are required to drive 55 miles an hour on this road. That means that you are required to drive 55 miles an hour. And if you exceed that 55 mile an hour speed limit, then we can ticket you and you have to pay us money. Oh, that's stupid law. We don't like stupid law, right? Uh, you are required to wear a seatbelt. And if I catch you not wearing a seatbelt, I can ticket you and I can, oh, that's a stupid law. Why are they making that stupid law? Taxes. That's a stupid law. You're going to take my money. It's a stupid law. We have a love-hate relationship with the law. What is certain, though, is that we all have to deal with that law. Yes, the good laws that protect us, and also the maybe laws we don't like that penalize us. The law has an impact on each of our lives. We have seen throughout Scripture that this has been the case. God will judge everyone based upon their relationship with the law. How they work out the law in their lives. He will see their works. He will judge them based upon those works. He will judge them based upon the law that was given to them. This is what Paul is stressing in our text today. If you do good, you'll be okay. If you don't do good, 
You get judgment. If you obey the law, you'll be okay. If you don't obey the law, there'll be judgment. This is an important theme that Paul is drawing out for us. It started last week, and we see here still the primary target uh, is the Jewish people. He says this is first for the Jews, then the Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't excluded from this, but he's primarily still talking uh, to the Jews. And so as we come to this text, we're going to see two points. I know this is abnormal. This is out of order. I'm doing two points today. So tear up your papers, throw them away. I'm sure you had three slots already slated. Um, first, we're going to look at the judgment of works. And second, we'll see the judgment of law. Let's begin by looking at judgment of works. Paul begins by saying God will judge each one according to their works. Each and every last one of you is going to be judged according to your works. This reflects Old Testament teaching. Judgment will come to everyone, both good and to bad. Those who do good works, those who seek to glorify and honor God, he says here, will be given eternal life. This is what he says here. Those who seek for glory and honor, immortality, he'll give you eternal life. But the opposite is also true. Those who are self-seeking, self-righteous, there's a judgment that is coming. Those who disobey the truth, who follow the path of unrighteousness, who are selfish, He gives them over to unrighteousness and judgment. There is only two possible endings here for Paul. Eternal life or eternal punishment. Comes first, as he says, for the Jew, but then for the Gentile. Now, at this point, you might be a little uncomfortable. Daniel, what are you teaching? What are you trying to say? Is it our works that matter? Is it what we do that matters? Yes. That's what Paul is saying here. Who are those, he says, who are doing good? Paul elsewhere, you might say, is taught works can't justify us. We can never do enough good works, and this is certainly true. No work that we can do can be the basis for our salvation. So what's Paul teaching? And there's been many different views on how they interpret this text. Some will say, well, Paul's teaching that there is a perfectionism in this life that is obtainable. Others argue, well, this is, Paul's talking about these are Christians who are now in Christ who can do good things. I believe both of these are wrong. Paul here is not trying to say this is one or another. His purpose is to show that God judges everyone on the same basis. He's not saying this is this people or that people who have done it. He's saying you will all be judged based upon the things that you do. You'll be judged on your works. He is showing you. He's showing us the standard for judgment. This is what you need to do in order to be saved. You ready? The secret for salvation. Be perfect. Anybody here got it? 
I've been perfect. I put your hand down. <laughs> the basis for our salvation, if we're going to do it on our own, is to be perfect. In fact, this is a completely valid means of salvation. If you, at the end of your life, can go before the throne of God and say, I have been perfect in every way, do you know what he'll say to you? Come and enter my rest. Come into my glory. You've been perfect in every way. You have never once sinned. If you can do that, you'll get to heaven. Now, what's the crux of Paul's argument? No one can do that. No one meets this condition. Only in Christ are these conditions met. The fruit of his faith is expressed in our lives. But this text condemns all those who are not perfect. Paul here is stressing the notion that all have sinned. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We remain sinful. Each and every week we come to church, don't we? And we put on our nice clothes. We put on our nice smiles. We come and we present a nice picture. But if we were to stop the service now, and we were to just just sit and talk, tell me about your life. Where have you gone in your life? What are the things that have happened to you? What are the things that you've done to other people? Let's go later in our text. He says, you're going to be judged not only for the things you've done, but all the things you've thought. I'm going to stop the service and I'm going to go, random person. We actually have a video of your thought life and we'd like to play it now for the congregation. Who wants to have that done? No, no, no. (laughs) We come to church and we say, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay, right? We're good. We got this under control. Let's smile and we'll talk our small talk. Put our best foot forward. But our lives aren't that sanitary, are they? Our lives are not that sanitary. We are those who have been marked by sin. And this sin has produced no good. Nothing good. And that's who we are. Our stories are those who are gross and unsanitary. Our our, our life has not been sanitary. It doesn't look a certain way. It doesn't look like we want it to look. And Paul over and over again, he's making this point. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter who you are. He's going to judge you based upon the same set of criteria. And so I stand before you today and I get to say to you, your works matter. What you do matters because your works have condemned you. And even after you're saved, your works matter. They 
for who and what we are. Understand the basis for judgment in your actions is perfection. It doesn't matter if you have the law or don't have the law. It doesn't matter, let's put it in today's context, it doesn't matter if you go to church or you don't go to church. We're all judged upon the same thing. We have to be concerned with how we live, what we do, how we treat people, how we represent who and what we are matters. But even in that, we have to understand that our works are never enough. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to do enough good things. Yes, works are a product of faith and we cannot fail to have them we have to take care of the sick we have to take care of the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan but it's never enough and so Paul tells us you'll be judged on your works but he goes on to say you will also be judged by the law now, there's a sense in which these are two of the same, but it, it's Paul's expounding on this. But I think before we get into this, we have to, how does Paul view the law? Paul, this Jewish individual who grew up a Pharisee, how does he view the law? What is the law? He understood the law to be this body of commandments given to Israel. The thing that distinguished them and set them apart. But he goes on here, he says here, for all have sinned without the law, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Uh, this could be translated, those who are lawless. Now, when we say those who are lawless, this isn't those who have broken the law, in a sense, not the criminal, the murderer, and so on. It's those who do not have the law of Moses, in essence. He's saying all who have sinned without the law are still responsible for the law. Both groups, both Jew and Gentile, are condemned here. The law, of course, is what? You want to know how you do perfect things to get eternal life? Here are my set of standards, my laws that I will give you. If you follow every one of these perfectly, if your works are matched like this, then you will be justified. The law can only justify when it is perfectly obeyed this is the first time paul uses justify the verb form here in romans this is the judicial decision of god to regard a sinner as just or right or as innocent before him. in essence he says you want to be innocent before me then i will judge you upon the basis of the law He says, you want to be justified by the law? Then fine. Jews believed at this time that doing the law or even the intent to do the law would lead them to salvation. Well, I meant to do it, so that's good enough, right? I meant to clean my room. I meant to go run to the store when you asked me to. I meant to do it. That's enough, right? Paul here is denying 
that anyone can claim special relationship based upon the law. Even the Gentile has the law, he says. On a daily basis, the Gentiles follow the law. Yes, they didn't have the law of Moses, but they had it written on their hearts. They, he revealed it to them. The natural law, they know right and wrong. They know uh, they have some sort of morality. Gentiles outside of the law, the lawless, regularly obey parents. They don't murder, etc. They are a law unto themselves, Paul says. Their actions show a knowledge of divine moral standards. The Jews no longer have this special standing that they so desperately cling to. Yet this knowledge, both for those who have the law and the lawless, demonstrates nothing but their guilt. Once again, he says the standard is perfection. Martin Luther says it this way. The knowledge of the work, excuse me, the knowledge of the work is written. That is, the law is written in letters concerning the works that have to be done, but not the grace to fulfill the law. We do not have in ourselves the grace to fulfill the law. All have the law. They possess the law. They have some knowledge of the law, but they do not have the ability to do the law. And so all, both Jew and Gentile, both rich and poor, both elder and congregant, both church person and non-church person, all stand before the seat of God on the same footing on the day of judgment. He says, this gospel has been entrusted to me. He calls it my gospel, the gospel that was given to him. And he must proclaim it. Paul, in a sense here, is telling us the law in the right context brings justification. In theory, a person can be justified by the law only if they do it perfectly. But once again, sin comes in. Sin prevents anyone from being justified in this manner. No matter how hard they try, they cannot. No one can keep the law Perfectly, Everyone has failed to reach its standard. Only a perfect doing of the law will bring justification. And so for us today, the law still stands before us. And we could argue, we could go and we could say, well, what law matters, Daniel, today? We'll go back and look at the Old Testament. We can, well, there's these differences in the law, the civil, ceremonial, and the moral law. And these are the ones we follow, and these are the ones we don't follow. And there's reasons for that. Jesus in the New Testament abrogated some of the ceremonial law. 
And we can get lost in that and so on and so forth. And we can talk, well, let's really figure out which exactly ones can I do and which ones exactly can I not do? And is it okay if I do these, but not these? And how do I keep the Sabbath? If I just do this, is that enough? And if I just do that, and what do we fall into routinely over and over again? I like this idea that I can do something. I like this idea that if I do good things and if I follow the law, then I can justify myself. I don't like the hardness of it. It's too hard. Can, we, can you give me the Cliff Notes version of the law? If you give me the Cliff Notes version of the law, then I'll, I can probably do that. I'll write paper on it. It'll be good. And, I won't, and you know, they'll, they'll tell me the things I need to know, not the things, the other parts that are just extra words, right? We are not capable. And so it condemns us. It shows us we can do nothing. Here we stand. Guilty before God. Unable to do good works. Unable to follow the law. All right. Well, amen. Let's go home. Right? No. Paul is setting something up for us. He's removing all levels of barriers that we've built up. I can do it. I can earn it. I can do it. Just give me a chance and I can do it. No, you cannot do it. Your life is a wreck. Merry Christmas. My life is a wreck. Our lives are wrecks. And we can tell our stories. Guess what? You may be sitting here today thinking, well, he's saying that. And and maybe the people next to me, they have some problems. But they're not as bad as my problems. That's simply just not the case. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, I am the chief of all sinners. I had Stephen, the first martyr in the gospel, killed. I held the codes as he was stoned. I oppressed the church of Jesus Christ at every chance. I am the chief of all sinners. Your mess is not bigger than my mess. There's a sense here, a real sense, where we need to understand something. You can think about the, the people who you're sitting next to, and some you know better than others, and they've told you parts of their story. And maybe you don't know all the story, but you know parts of stories. And, and you know the depravity that is in, in our hearts. So it's not about coming here on a week-to-week basis and saying, look how good I am. Look how I've got it all together, because we don't have it all together. Paul has knocked us all down. He says, you're on equal footing. You are the worst of individuals. You are sinners. Guess what? You need Jesus. Jesus, who is the one person who Paul's talking about here. You want to do it all right, then you have to 
do works good all the time, perfectly all the time. You want it to be all right, you want to be justified, then you have to follow the right, the law right every single time without exception. And there is only one, Jesus Christ, who came and lived his life perfectly. Jesus Christ, who came and obeyed the law perfectly. There is not one part of it that he failed. And he has made us in our ugliness, in our sinfulness. He has made us right through his obedience. Isn't this the wonder of what we celebrate today or what we celebrate in this season? It's interesting. I love our decorations. And you look around and you see these. They're beautiful, aren't they? And you look and you see the manger scene here in this. looks like Hawaii almost. And it's beautiful. I love it. I love that we decorate every year. And yet, as we consider the incarnation, the incarnation was not beautiful. When Jesus became man, it was not sanitary. It was not clean. It was not pretty and symmetrical and everything the right height, was it? It was messy. It was dirty. Consider the life of Jesus even as he was born among feces in the manger. As he grew, and then who did Jesus spend his life with? Tax collectors. The lowest of the low. He ate with prostitutes. He died in a horrific, messy manner. The gospel is not sanitary because your life is not sanitary. You, apart from Jesus Christ, deserve the wrath, the full, unbridled wrath of God. But you have one. It says that Jesus drank the wrath of God to the dregs. This notion that he took the cup of God's wrath and not one bit was left. All that gross, settled stuff at the bottom, all the backwash and everything else was there. The dregs, he drunk it all. And it was not clean. It was not pretty. And yet he came into this world anyway. The eternal son of God. Became Emmanuel God with us. Because we had a problem. We had the judgment of God coming rightly for us. We were not only marked for death, we were dead. No CPR, no resuscitation was possible. It was over. Until Jesus made it all right. He was without sin. He was perfect in every way. He became the perfect sacrifice for sin. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he has given us this righteousness. 
And through him we can be reconciled. Before you today are your works. Are your works perfect? Have you done enough good things? Have you obeyed the law perfectly? If not, then Paul says there's a judgment that is coming. That judgment is real and it is not pleasant. You need something apart from yourself. I fear sometimes that the church has fallen into this pattern of representing an inauthentic faith. We represent an in or non authentic gospel. We pretend like our works are all right. We think that we can do enough. But each of us has a story to tell, don't we? Each of us has a story to tell. And I would encourage you to tell your story. Not the sanitary, political, correct, this is how I'm doing okay story. Tell the story that has earned you the eternal wrath and judgment of God. Don't stop there. Tell the story of one who came to you in that judgment and brought you hope. Who brought you his very life. Who was born among the animals. Who ate with the, sinis- the worst of sinners who fellowshiped with the lowest rung of society that's you by the way that's me who understood the depths of our sin who understood the greatness of our need. And he came down and he took you in your deadness and he picked you up and he breathed into you life. And he said, you can't do it, but I can do it. I have done it. And you know what? You don't have to be ashamed of your junk and your sin because your sin is a testimony to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to come and put on our nice clothes and allow it to be a facade. I'm not saying don't wear nice clothes. But we get to come and say, this is my story. This is what's true about me. 
And this is what true is what is true about my Savior, who was born in a manger, who lived the life I could not live, who died the death I could not die. And he has purchased for me wonderful, beautiful, sweet relationship with my God. And so I am no longer identified by my ugliness. I am identified as a son and a daughter of the God most high. And now I sing glory to God in the highest who has come to earth and has brought peace to men. Would that be our story? Would that be what is true of who and what we are? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have shown us the standard by which we cannot stand so that we can rest and fully trust wholly in Jesus Christ. Would we be doing this each and every day? We pray in his most precious name. Amen.